0: For tuning into the Glossy Beauty podcast, I'm your host Priya Rao, and here with me today is Akash Mehta, the co-founder and CEO of Fable and Maine, an Ayurvedic-inspired hair brand. Hi, Akash. How are you?
1: Hi, Priya. Thank you so much for having me. What an honor. I'm a huge, avid listener to this podcast. So just to be honest, it's pretty surreal. So thank you.
0: Oh, thank you, Akash. And I have to say, I mean, for those who don't know, Akash is a pretty accomplished podcast for himself with Founded Beauty. Um, you're talking to beauty founders all the time. So I feel like we have even more to talk about than our typical guest. How oh, is it? You. How are you doing in London right now? What's, what's the weather like? What's the sentiment? I feel like everybody's pretty pumped about the new Prime Minister?
1: Yeah, it's pretty crazy. I mean, this is also quite a surreal moment for me because two of my like lifelong, uh, I guess, bucket list goals I did last Wednesday and I'm doing this Wednesday. So last Wednesday, me and my sister were invited to Downing Street uh, for Diwali celebrations with Rishi. So we got to see him on his first day as Prime Minister, which was such a momentous occasion for, you know, Anyone who a, a South Asians, people of color, this is like a big moment for us, and um, so it's such an exciting moment. But also next uh, in two days, or tomorrow actually, uh, I'm going to Buckingham Palace to meet King Charles. So it's kind of like I don't know how this has happened. Like I, I and I say this like with such excitement. This is not this is not normality at all. But in one week, this is like two goals. So yeah, I guess I'll see the the impact of like obviously the late Queen and then how now King the King Charles is. So. That's Pretty crazy, but uh, I mean, I feel like we it.
0: should have talked to you after you meet King Charles to get even I more know. insight.
1: I'll give some gossip, but no, um, <laughs> I think it will be pretty much just the same as Danish. It just like you know, you go, it's so so amazing to see, but you don't get like that time, to, like one to one. It's more like, whoa, you're amazing, you're there, cool,
0: bye. <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing, that's amazing. Well, Akash, you know, obviously. I know a little bit about your story, but you have a long history in your family of beauty entrepreneurs. Tell us a little bit about your father, how you first got introduced to beauty. I'm sure it was obviously with your mother and her own rituals, but you also saw this amazing business side with your dad.
1: So true. No, so I think like there's two prongs. So like my mom and my grandma, my grandparents. Um, that's kind of got me into beauty holistically from Ayurveda. So Ayurveda is means the science of life, knowledge of life. It's a four thousand to five thousand year science, um, all about healing from you know just herbs and natural products um this is something that was in our hu- household growing up but at the same time in my household there was my father who was actually working in the beauty industry as a beauty entrepreneur um his predominant market was in fragrance uh, building some of the largest fragrance companies so he kind of started his story is really incredible like he was born in uganda Idia, meantime, you know, came to London, exiled out, with literally that kind of fifty pounds, fifty dollars in the pocket kind of situation. So, because uh, everything was seized at the you know, in the airplane, like in the airport, you couldn't take all your belongings. So he came, and a refugee had like his three siblings in one room, Um, and he was like in his teens then, and he had to build it up from the beginning. So he actually studied electrical electronic engineering, um, but then. He didn't go into that career. Fun fact, I studied electronic engineering and I didn't go in that career, but that's a (laughs) good way. Duality, that probably is just me being obsessed with my dad and inspired by him that I took his path. But um, he actually started like, in like the border of France and England, um, and uh, was kind of like sleeping overnight, collecting fragrances and selling them in like Wembley market, which is like a local market here. And then he started building his report in the industry, started becoming a distributor of fragrance, kind of controlling the secondary market. And then over time, big conglomerates like Coty, P&G, whatever, they were like, oh, you know, we, we're selling this brand. Do you want to buy it? So then he had a division where he started doing licenses. So. He owns today licenses from celebrities like Ariana Grande, J Lo, to like Formula One and Playboy. So he's got a pretty um, big company. But what was most, I think, interesting for me growing up was I was always in his meeting rooms, just sitting down, doing homework. And then he, he used to always, after like um, the meeting finished, we used to, whoever the CEO was or whoever there was in that meeting, he would be like, speak to my son for five minutes. So I used to like, remember getting this like school of beauty without realizing it because I'm a math and physics geek. So I was like, my career was already set out in my brain. I was a typical good Indian boy. I was like, I'm going to be, you know, going to do some kind of math or engineering at school, at university. And I kind of wanted to work for Apple and NASA. And that's why I saw it. So I didn't see myself in the beauty industry, but I think those moments of my dad diffusing that in my childhood just made it so close to home where I am today now.
0: (laughs) Do you remember any of the people that you met when you were a kid? Like, whether it was, like, the CEO of Cody or, you um, know,
1: yep. you know I remember, Hugh Hefner? I, remember, I, remember, I met, actually, Naomi Campbell. My dad did, does Naomi Campbell fragrance. I met her. You know what was really inspiring about that one? I would say that meeting is she was so smart like she knew the ceo of like douglas russia poland like she knew the names she was asking the right questions and you had this like image at that young age i was like well celebrity fragrance do they even do they even like they're the license do they get royalty like, do they even know this stuff and i remember sitting there i was like wow like that's so cool. Like she's smart. She knows her stuff. And, um, and then, you know, that was like one example of a celebrity, but then, yeah, I met amazing, um, VPs and, and GMs in my, in the, in the businesses. Um, and I actually, uh, because I was so curious to learn a bit more, I actually did 13 internships growing up before I was 18 in summer in work experiences. But like, I was so curious just to like learn from all those people that my dad came in contact with. So I worked in, there's Procter & Gamble. I also did different divisions like uh, Warner Brothers and BMW, different things. But I was just um, so curious to learn and experiment with like my summer time, summer months on like, what could be the future of this and this? And actually it was a good kind of cross-off. Like I was like, okay, I went to work in Burbank and Warner Brothers thought one point in my life, I'll be a film director. And I was like, yeah, that's not for me. I was reading scripts every day and I was really bad at it. And I was like, nope, next. So (laughs) those little moments have been really invaluable. And it comes from such privilege to have an amazing father that's given me these opportunities. But um, so even to this date, like I, I know not everyone can have access to that. And I'm so grateful that he was able to to kind of give me that, which is why today I try to like do it as much in my power to like give back to anyone, students that I got helped a lot growing up. So I just feel it's like a circular system of, you just have to, you know, if you were given some amazing opportunities, you should always pay it forward as well.
0: Akash, obviously you were very inquisitive and curious as a kid, both in beauty and outside of beauty. You know, you're talking about your internships at Warner Brothers and, you know, your dreams of working at Apple or NASA, but... When you became an adult and when you started thinking about your career, did it surprise you that you were like, "Hey, maybe I want to start a beauty brand"? And was it strange also for your father that you said, "Hey, Dad, I want to start a beauty brand now"?
1: Honestly, um, it was kind of weird because when I it kind of came from two things. So I I was a, an, a workaholic, whatever you call it. So in school, I would always like do tuition, work hard. I was always like, "What's on the CV is important." And then I went to university to study engineering and. I had the biggest wake up call that was out of my normality. Of what I knew, my school didn't, you know, kind of like they were kind of like gearing us up for certain things. And it was actually the best, best gift in my life was failing my second year at uni and kind of realizing like, whoa, like this is the first failure of like academic that I had in my career. And to be in the in second year when all your friends go a year forward, you sit there like, oh, wait, I'm not very good at engineering. Why am I getting 40% when I never got these in my in my school time? And then I just realized like, I had that really like sinking feeling in my stomach that I was like, I'm just not a good engineer. But damn, I chose this path. Now, what the hell am I going to do? Right. Like it's so and a lot of people can kind of relate to this when you fail a year and stuff. But in that moment, I had such dark thoughts. I, I'm not going to lie. I had moments where I was thinking of doing things to myself. You know, I don't want to go into that. But there, this was the reality of what I was like at that time. That was my my the only option I knew. And It was such a incredible thing to have such a supportive parents and and family that were like, not worried. And they weren't like, what the hell you failed?" They were like, okay, what do you want to do? And I was like, wait, that's an option now, right? I can just sit back and think Mm -hmm. about what do I want to do? So in that year out, I actually um, got an internship at Burberry in marketing. And I thought, wow, I really like marketing. I really like building brands, creatively getting involved. So I actually um, went back, finished my degree, got that. Like, whatever, just a piece of paper that we come sometimes need to have. And it's good just to finish what you started. But I said, from that point, I'm going to do what makes me happy. So my first job after uni was I was an unpaid intern at Estee Lauder. And all my friends were six-figure salary jobs in finance and banking. And I was like, no, um, this is my path. Like, I just, I'm passionate here. I love this. I will find success. I'll also hopefully find some salary success too in the future, but mm-hmm. let's just see where this goes. And then fast forwarded to cut the story short. I, I became 21, the youngest ever manager at Estelordo globally, um, from the unpaid intern within three weeks, um, the opportunity came. I pitched myself and, I got the role. And then I became the youngest manager at Dior. And I was in Paris for about three years in the head office. Um, and albeit I was working in social media, digital marketing influences, quite new topics, right? So this isn't new manager roles. This isn't like traditional uh, managerial role experiences. But uh, what an amazing experience to then eventually kickstart my own my own brand.
0: So you started this brand with your sister, Nikki. What was the you know, ethos of the brand when you were first starting to ideate what this brand could be. Because, like you said, Ayurveda has been around for 4,000 years, even longer. Who even knows? It's something that people and uh, people of Indian descent obviously practice in their families. I, I mean, I'm, I'm right there with you with the hair oils and what, remembering what the rituals my mother did. But it's always been such a complicated topic, I think, for global audiences to understand.
1: Oh, exactly. No, I uh, couldn't say it better myself. And I think it still is in some way, but that didn't, I think there was a couple of, I could say, like if you think of that spider diagram of like how faber started, there's a couple of like um, legs that I could kind of talk about. One was being in these big conglomerates and not to badmouth any of these companies it was, I mean, the big, best schools and the best places to, to learn and grow. But there is a sense of when you get to a big company at any stage, you get a little bit less close to the consciousness the the, the really like the conscious capitalism approach of like what are your stakeholders? What are you giving back? Is your giving back, really giving back? Or is it like marketing? Like, and I think I was in these meetings and feeling a little bit like I was losing myself. And bearing in mind, like I wasn't meant to, like this was never my dream to work in these big companies. Like I didn't want that deal on my CV. I mean, I, I just wanted to learn. I was, and you've seen this in my career. Like I want to learn and grow. And when you stop learning in this company, you also start feeling, what are you working on? I thought, well, there's two things. And there was one meeting. I'm not going to say what happened, but there was a very like, yeah I would say racist remark that happened and I kind of was sitting there and I was like what do I do here do I like go to HR do I what do I or do I instead create something create a brand that will inspire the heck out of these people right and really make the industry change because that's sometimes more sustainable than like kind of just going a bit angrily with force so I ended up kind of speaking to my sister and I was like Nikki like I don't know how long I'll stay here but I think there is something I want to do and build a brand. Like, And then Nikki at the same time, my sister Nikki, she had some hair loss and we, she was actually like experimenting with um, my grandma's like oils and stuff in the kitchen. But at that same time of all of this, my grand, both my grandmas uh, passed away. So I lost all my grandparents very quickly. Um, my grandparents died a lot younger, but my grandpa, my grandmas were a bit with us a bit longer. And, you know, it was only then when you realize when they leave your your life and, and you and, you know, around you, you realize what you miss. And we were mm-hmm. like always going back to my nannies, my daddy's, um like hair oiling that she used to do every day, like growing up. And while she would massage these oils, she would read a story. So story time mm-hmm. and hair care is what we grew up with. So there was a mixture of main came from story and hair main. It also came from Nikki's own experimentation of hair oils and finding some amazing new formulas. But at the same time, there was no representation in the industry. Like there, we went to Sephora, there was no Ayurvedic hair brand. Um, uh, and there was like, we were like, but we are busy. We we're on the go. We need to find something quick. But also the number one thing as well, and you know this, um, with kind of Ayurvedic products, Bria, is you, they stink. They smell, right? And like, we're busy. We're going out and the, I, I need something that smells great, some empowered and, and got the performance. So we actually ended up um, developing just some, sense and some ideas. And uh, actually, when I was still at Dior working at the time, Francois de Marchi, who's the nose of Dior at the time, who made all the fragrances, he actually gifted the scent of our hair oil inspired by his trip to India. And he always wanted to create um, the scent for Dior but never did because they wouldn't create like a I guess an Indian scent smell for Madurai so he made it for us so all these little like my life kind of jigsaw puzzle to this moment and um, we just literally had a brand book 10 pages no samples at this point just a few little like you know things like oils and scents and stuff and we just linked in messaged Sephora with the concept and this was early 2019 like maybe Jan and they responded saying, when you come into San Fran next, we want to talk. And we were like, Oh, we're actually coming next week. Obviously, we just booked our flight quickly. And, um, <laughs> and then, yeah, we, um, we're in the kitchen with them for a year. And then lo and behold, we, we became the first ever Ayurvedic brand at Sephora, the first, I, and the first Indian hair brand at Sephora too. And also fun fact, the first ever sibling founded brand at Sephora, which is quite, um, maybe like uh, weird. No one really wants to go in business with their sibling, but there you go. So. And then now, two years later, it's been an incredible journey, yeah.
0: I feel like that's actually very surprising to me, too, because I would think that so many people go into business with their family. Um, But going back a little bit, Akash, so would you say that you had the nexus of the idea before um, you went to Sephora, or would you say that you really worked and tinkered on the final product together? Like, I would love to understand that kind of co-creation process a little bit more.
1: Definitely. And I'll, I'll elaborate what in the kitchen means too, because I say that term very loosely, but it's it's a Sephora term. In the kitchen is like you're kind of in the kitchen with them, like right? grinding on the ideas. So the concept was ours originally. So we had the name, the logo, the tiger, um, the, the mission with the fund to help wildlife conservation. All of that was there. And we knew roughly it would be a hair oil, a pre-wash hair oil. The rest was sort of not really carved out. So with Sephora, they're incredible um, partners, not only as like consultants with the data they have from Sephora, et cetera, right? And the consumers they have, but also the merchants are the most expertise in their field, right? And these are seasoned veterans in beauty. So working with them, they they will want to launch with you exclusively. That's the deal, right? They only give you this time if they want to launch and you commit to them, right? You don't go off to the, the Amazons and the Alters. You stay with them and you stay loyal to them. But you get so much value because Sephora, unlike any other retailer, is a brand builder. Um, it's not just a brand seller, right? So that's why they give you that time to build it. So In the Kitchen consists of... They they try all your products. You send them all your the samples. They'll try as many samples as you want. They'll work through the product portfolio. We had like initially names like Champo and Champi-Champo and all these things, right? Very Ayurvedic words. And they were like, no, listen to the catch. Like, like America, they they even like, you know, not to be crude, but even sometimes most people don't even know where India is in the map, let alone what Ayurvedic <laughs> is, and how to pronounce it, right? So don't go in like straight away, like boom, like people need to know. It's a shampoo, it's a shampoo, make it clear. And then I thought that's a really interesting way, like educate them over time, let them be on that journey. Then eventually you can diffuse Ayurveda and rituals in that. Um, So all of their advice kind of really did make Fable and Main where it is today. Without that, it would be a very different version of it.
0: I can imagine that. But Akash, obviously Fable and Main... You know, you started these conversations in 2019. And I remember speaking to you in 2020. And I remember speaking to Priya Venkatesh at Sephora, who is a champion of brands like yours. And we all just just didn't know where where the world was going to be. So what was that like? Kind of figuring out like, hey, I have this amazing support behind me. But yet, the world might be ending.
1: It was like a whirlwind. So like, I'll paint you that picture that year. So 2019 was brand ideation, creation, sampling. I was still at Dior. I tried to work about a year while building it. I was very open with my CEO and my boss saying, I'm doing both, like, can you let me do both? And I won't quit. And they're like, yep, do both uh, in your own time. Like obviously not in office hours. So I managed to do that. And that's where all the scent with Francois and like I even got some expertise from my my, my two bosses at the time, Veronique Courtois and Claude Martinez that were very invaluable in building what like my my own mindset then. But then I quit in November because I just knew. And my sister one day, she was like crying in the car and she was like, you need to be full time. I need you now. Like we haven't, we're going to launch in four months. There's so much to be done. Website, this, that. And I'm like, okay, let me go. So one of my employees came with me from Dior. She left and she came to London. And it was just three of us for a long time building this whole, what the brand would be launching at as April 2020 obviously we had no idea pandemic was on the horizon and um, we were launching and for everyone to understand we were launching in-store and online with sephora from day one and on our d2c as well our website so that is a big feat like to just launch in like i think it was a couple of hundred stories in sephora in-store there's a lot of work that's needed a lot of sampling a lot of products um it's not really easy and we're self-funded so We're still self-funded to date. We haven't taken any external investment. We've we've grown it very mindfully, very um, smartly and slowly. Um, And that comes with a lot of like pros and cons, but the cons are, yeah, like every decision you've got to be very careful of. So to suddenly have thrusted upon us like, all right, um, stores are closing. Plus, like, um, yeah, the world is not where we are. We can't do a launch event. But also for us, the hardest part was we make everything in the US. And um, we have our main retail partner that we're launching with in the U.S. and Canada. And we're in London. So, and I don't know if everyone remembers at that time, but like, not even for a couple of months, but for about a year and a half, U.S. closed their Esther. Like, you couldn't travel. So, for about two years, like a year and a half, I would say, I couldn't even see my products in store. I couldn't even see my hires. I couldn't even go visit my labs. I couldn't do the quality control. I couldn't create it's content. Wild. It was hard, but it also shows that, you know, you can really, like, build a company via, like, online and Zoom. There's fatigue, don't get me wrong, but you can do it. And, um, but actually, all of, or just to summarize that, it was kind of a blessing as well because salons were closed. I come from a very, like, um, TikTok, social media, Instagram. I managed influencers worldwide, with the paid side with Dior as well. So I knew that would be a strength that I could bring in the company. And obviously, in the pandemic, everything's online, social media's on fire. And salons are closed. People are investing in wellness at home. I think we actually saw amazing growth um, potential from that. And I think we got viral on TikTok at one point. Sirat Saini was our first TikTok virality, like that we had, and that like we sold out in Sephora and on website. Like from that moment, we were like, okay, I think. And we had Sephora eyes open. We were like the number third hair oil. They were like, this is unheard of. We 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 think this is the next big brand in hair. So I think. That kind of allowed us to keep on this momentum of like online and social media, um, which you don't need to be like in a space. You can do that all online. But then, yeah, luckily when we could travel, it was essential to go because then the brick and mortar started building. People, stores were starting to open and we had to like start realizing education is important. You know, going to visit the beauty advisors and there's a whole other game there as well.
0: Tell me a little bit about the TikTok viral moment because we always love talking about this on the show because you can't plan for that and then you also can't repeat that ever again it seems like
1: yeah it's so we had um i think like i'll tell you we've been viral a few times on social media and tiktok mainly um and all of those times have not been paid but they have uh, they've been like organic but they have potentially like more nowadays i would say less before they've been a part of like some form of like partnership we've done or we've gifted or we have some other projects but those the ones that i think have gone viral have been like the organic ones that they've just diffused within the extra time that they they're not in the deliverables they have that's one good tip i have is like you know you can like try to like avoid the ad or like hashtag partner i think it does like affect the algorithm for sure but generally speaking like a smarter way to work with your creators is like you know work on like a very vague like post this many times in a couple of months but like at the same time like we love organic posting, right? And we'll always send you products. And then I think you'll find a lot of those like spikes will come in those moments. Um, that first viral post was so funny. It was done with, I'm like a, I build social media for brands and big brands, right? I, I go out and, and like teach people on that stuff. I did TED Talks and stuff. And then everything we did on that was wrong. <laughs> like we had no, <laughs> like, like, we did messages, Sarah. We even like sent her the products and we knew something was coming. And she even asked us like, what should I tag? And this and that. And we were like, I think my sister handled that or something. We didn't even have a TikTok page created. We didn't even tell, we didn't, she didn't even tag at Fable and Main like properly. But then actually that taught me the most. I was like, that is, that is actually the winning success. Don't overdo it. Don't over control it, like let it flow and let the creator decide. Right. And I think that was like secret blessing, but um, yeah, it would have been nice to at least have had an account at that time because <laughs> we could have <laughs> at least had some of the benefit, but, but then we quickly created one and then, then we started a whole TikTok strategy, but yeah, we got like, um, I don't know if it's exactly that viral moment. There's been another viral moment, but we do see from these moments Direct correlation to sales, right? We see Google traffic increase, um, crazy spikes. We see about six figures of sales within like as close to 24 to 48 hours. Like it's, wow. how it's happened. And it's an RD to see. So it's crazy.
0: That's what's always striking to me because I always wonder is this about awareness or is this about sales? Because, you know, you, I get plenty of emails and I'm sure you do too, Akash, friends or people asking for advice. And it's like, oh, yeah, did you just get your name out there? Or is it translating? And you're saying it—it is indeed translating.
1: I think it is, and I think like so. I'm coming in from my job at Dior, for example. Was I wasn't in PR; I was in digital, and I come in from the engineering mindset. So I came in to like measure, make it a little bit less grey, and link it to the commercial business. Because at the end of the day, now when you look at the influence landscape or the even the PR landscape. The spend is increasing. I kind of call it even influencer inflation. These rates are kind of going up. <laughs> and sometimes rightly so, sometimes not rightly so. You know, it's like, um, especially on TikTok, sometimes the algorithm changes where their engagement doesn't warrant like a $50,000 spend for a TikTok post. You can't, you know. Brands, sometimes small brands, that's their marketing budget for like a quarter, you know, or a year. So um I want to make it a little bit more measurable. Um And that's one thing that like, I think, you can measure it, not necessarily directly. Like I think certain things. Like if you're in TikTok, it's more of a see how it happens, and they will like people will get awareness. But often, if it's a com- compelling piece of content, they will convert to actual like searches and and results in buying. That's why you often see like beauty advisors will say, demand people come in and say, I saw this on TikTok or screenshotted it. Like it works. But there are more direct correlation to business, which is like checkout codes, right, um, on the website um, or affiliate links. And I'm an affiliate, I would say a, a mini affiliate connoisseur because that was my job at Dior. I opened up affiliate marketing in Dior and I still today, so I built Dior's own affiliate program because I felt like um, there was like rewards done on these programs, but I, I knew Dior wanted their own measurable tactic and also they can control the cpc cpa how they work so i still today own the program because when i quit they they needed me to continue it and the good (laughs) thing is is i have all the data i know who works who doesn't all the conversion that that's a little secret weapon i have and i started building at one point like two years ago i was building affiliate programs for brands like pharmacy and then these. they wanted and i was like what am i doing here let's stop like i need to like focus on fable but i i do know affiliate and i know how brands are really using it so Definitely, I think affiliate commission trackability is important uh, and influencers will want that because they want to get paid more, right? And I think when you can measure certain data, generally speaking, it, it's, it can help both parties, right? Um, but I would say like the more and more I'm going into the industry, the more and more there's just no rule book. Like I think I know something today, I don't know it tomorrow. So I kind of don't consider myself like an expert in anything. I just consider myself like an experimenter and I'm learning as I'm building it because the platforms are changing, the algorithms changing, the creators are changing. I think that's really important just to put it out there, that there isn't one fit all kind of perfect solution to this kind of problem that everyone's facing.
0: Talk to me a little bit more about that because you know, as soon as you figure out one platform, it changes. Like, you know, during 2020, I think Instagram was still very hot for beauty and that a certain look and aesthetic. And now we're on TikTok. And now people are talking about Be Real and like Discord and everything. So as a brand founder, I mean, not just as an enthusiast of social media, but as a fr- brand founder, how do you decide what's worth playing in and how? So
1: I think you have to like, I have this issue with P&L management because often like, uh, it's funny, I'm doing this in my company now, which I normally wouldn't. But like when I was at Dior, there was like R1, R2. There was like, you know, you have two budget quarterly reviews, but you have to like decide these things a year in advance and stick to these budgets and often allocate it to certain mediums, whether it's Google ads, social ads, influencers, et cetera. So what I tend to do now in my company, I, I am actually sticking to that because I have to. Now we have to think about cash flow and, and management of that. But I do have some kind of, structure one is okay there's going to be the always on of trying all of those things for example we will do a good percentage on instagram because it works and you have the swipe ups and you have the links then you have the mixture for tiktok which is good because it can get that virality and it can get that organic seeding plus the content that you can then diffuse later on ads and people like that tiktok ephemeral content but generally i have play money and that's basically like last minute, let's try, find things out. So let's say b will is hot or Clubhouse is back again tomorrow. Like that budget will be used for this. Um, but as long as my team is measuring it, I'm happy to allocate that to measure it. And then if it doesn't work, we try. Let's go. But there needs to be that always on what works just to warrant that we're not just experimenting without at least some reoccurring success, Um but I'm talking like, you know, it could be like $3,000 or it can be $300,000. It just depends on how you allocate it. Fun fact, like today, of two year and a half years into Fable, I haven't spent really like any money on ads. Like apart from Google ads, I've done nothing on social ads. I put all my budget on influencers. Um, and that's just something I've just decided. I have a limited budget. I got to be smart of how I allocate that. And I know influencers. I know how it can work. And I've seen the direct correlation. Ads are great, but yeah, usually getting a certain X and it's pretty much like pay for play, right? Uh, influencers is a bit riskier, but when you win, you win big. And I'm, maybe I'm a gambler in that sense, but I also have some data like I can warrant that with. Um, so it just depends on like what your, what your, I guess your, skill sets are your toolkits are but don't forget to have a bit of a budget for play um it's important because only then you know and then you'll know for your brand because every brand is different and every product is different um so yeah i haven't yet tried be real on a bigger scale yet that'd be really curious to see how that that evolves right now i am like on it as like the brand i have our toy a tiger toy and i just like it kind of like is a naughty tiger that she shares all our secrets. But at <laughs> the same time, I'm like, I'm curious to know how could that work From it, Like, is there influencers and in people? B- I haven't figured that out yet.
0: Yeah. Well, you know, I think it's so interesting just because it's like, you can't follow or tag people if they're not following you, I think as a brand. Yeah. And so that's interesting because like then how are brands ever going to connect if they don't already have a pre-existing relationship and who knows if that influencer is going to follow you or not um, back.
1: Exactly. Exactly.
0: Going back to what we talked about at the beginning of the conversation, you know, we're talking about Ayurveda, we're talking about Ayurvedic-inspired hair care and how difficult it is to, you know, distill. But how are you doing that on social? Because I imagine, you know, when you're putting your information, your education, your products into other people's hands or on TikTok for like, you know, a 90-second blip in someone's day, you know that gets lost a little bit. So how do you kind of measure doing both?
1: So I think it's, we have quite an equal split of like types of um, content we kind of diffuse out. So one is, a lot of it is reposting the influence that we work with. A, because we just have a lot of them because we do a lot of influencer work. And sometimes we do get disappointed with the reach, right? The TikTok didn't get as good as we want. So we kind of feel like, well, we'll put it on our channel. Uh, we did a, you know, when we work with these creators, we kind of have it in the, in the content, in the contract that we can boost it a little bit on social only. So we have that op- opportunity to also boost it within our channel if we need to. Um, that's the only sort of ads we do is boosting um, of kind of organic content we push out. Um, so that's something that we kind of do a lot of diversity of, real people, influencers, celebrities that are advocating our brand and their turn of voice and often they're doing it in such a like effective way plus we save a lot of budget on video content creation which can be very expensive um so that's something we do a lot and we we really pride ourselves that fact that yes we're a south asian owned brand yes we are an ayurvedic brand but like there was even today like i don't know if it still stands but there was a moment where like sephora was saying we're one of the most diverse hair care brands and customer base like they showed us like this percentage like 20 20 like really equal split and i think that's a mixture of we know our products were formulated for all because ayurvedic ingredients don't discriminate so why should our products But we were, I think, the influencer selection to their own communities and their own like their own hair types and textures that kind of resonated with other people that helped. So that's what we try to show is a good split of that on our channel. Plus, we just have really beautiful content that we just want to keep the elegance and the kind of. I guess the, the, the luxuriness of the brand that we are premium hair care. And then we have a lot of founder-led content because I really believe in founder-led testimonials and advice. So a lot of like technique sharing, ritual sharing, that I think is still quite new to a lot of people. Like how to do Indian in your head massage. Where's your crown chakra point? How, what is pre-wash hair oiling? What is the difference between silicon and the silicon-free oils? Like these are things people are still might not know. Um, you know, people know how to roughly put a shampoo in their hair like that. We can get but there is a lot of interest, in, interesting things we can talk about plus ingredient storytelling right so we try to also diffuse a lot of like um ingredient parts and the last thing is just like the beautiful like culture we have to celebrate so we do a lot of stuff about india uh, local villages uh we do things about like um that often don't are definitely not associated with any conversion or, or monetary return, but just to raise and spread love. And uh, that's a big, big part as well. So people quite like f- in f- following us, because I think there's a lot of like, um, variety of content for everyone.
0: Tell me a little bit about the customer in terms of like, who she is, because like you just said, you know, there are, you know, Indian consumers, there are white consumers, there's African American and black consumers, like, who is your sweet spot and what does she like to do and how interested is she in in beauty?
1: So I think from like a hair type um, and from an ethnicity perspective, it is pretty across the spectrum, across the board. That's like, we're really proud of that. And I think we don't, we haven't really tried to narrow that down too much. Um, so that's one thing that I think is the given first primary part. The secondary layer, I think for us is really about kind of thinking about concerns, hair concerns. So one main concern is kind of recent hair loss. So whether it's a COVID hair loss has been a big thing or postpartum hair loss, um, or just generally like kind of like thinning of hair, we come in as that perfect, like uh, a long-term partner for you guys for like strengthening. Uh, But also like, I think we're so sure now of the product from the reviews, organic TikTok, the testimonials, and we've done some clinicals too, that we just know the product's work as well so i think that efficacy plus concern together is a really big bringer of like new community and new customers um and i think the other thing as well is people just like curious into kind of like treating their hair with a bit more love and tlc like they do with skin so we're kind of like a clean hair care brand similar to the briogeos but also like that skinification of hair right so we we talk about ingredients so i think a lot of skincare junkies that I've just like loved all like the glare recipes and stuff like that. They, they can now come to us and be like oh this is quite exciting for hair because hair has traditionally been like the chemicals and like the but the the, the efficacy of the olaplex don't get me wrong but they are you know all these terms and words that people don't know what they actually mean but then also the um, you have like the, the salon professional or the hairstylist but there is this rise now of like clean kind of new ingredient-led hair care brands. And I think we're on that wave a bit too. So our our consumers are also cross kind of multi-world consumers coming from other verticals of beauty into hair. And I think that's a big, big new thing. We're, We're trying to gauge now and understand.
0: What about in terms of product? What are your best sellers? Because personally, you know, I think the hair oils are phenomenal. And that's very Ayurvedic-centric, but you offer, you know, traditional shampoos, conditioners, and you're launching stylers, if I'm not mistaken, next year. Yeah.
1: So I think that's the thing. So we've launched like the main range of the strengthening hair care root range. So like we have the hair oil, which is our hero product. It's by far like it represents like a good uh, like nearly 60% of our product like, uh, portfolio in terms of business sales. Um, and probably sometimes it's growing because it's just it's just our hero product. Uh, that's been amazing. I think having a hero skew is always a good thing to celebrate. I remember when I was in my old jobs, like, you know, you'd always say like the J'adore is Sauvage and then the rest is around it. So I think we should celebrate having a hero product. Often in retail, they'll be like, oh, you, you don't want to have one. But I'm like, no, it's a good thing. Like That, that means you've made a timeless brand that people will always come to. And then they'll eventually shop around the ritual. So we do want to think about, we are an oil first brand and we created these oils. So we have a pre-wash oil of both the the hair oils, which is in the Holy Roots range, which is the root range. Then we launched a scalp range. We have a pre-wash scalp serum for people that have more scalp concerns, whether it's uh, um, itchy, flaky scalps or sensitive scalps or dandruff issues. So we also launched like a nice scalp, like scrub and mud mask. But next year, like we thought about, we're we've really solidly given the pre-wash journey and the wash journey. But what about post-wash, right? We need to think about that. And I think that's been led and kind of encouraged by our, our, our community, our, our consumers, our, our team, so, and our retail, of course. So we um, are next to launching a post-wash oil in Jan, which we're really excited about. It's going to have heat protection. It's got this beautiful, like, saffron rose smell. And that's going to be, I think, a big, big kind of entry level into our new uh, kind of styling range. And then we'll launch other products like leave-in conditioners, uh, thickening sprays, like a lot of different ones over the next couple of years. So we're just excited to, like, grow. But I will say, and I need to make that clear, we're kind of all about mindful MPD, so less is more. Think about Ayurveda, you know, you don't need too much. And I think there's so much saturation and, and even consumer fatigue of what to go for. So for us, I think... We're only creating what's needed. And if we haven't got a launch, and I think that could be sometimes like um, in marketing and in institutional words, like the death of the brand, like not having consistent launches because you need know, that pulses. I'm like, no, like keep on selling the amazing products you have. It's like, I've got my babies. Like people stop at two or three children or four children. I'm like, I don't need to have like hundred. Like I just want to celebrate my babies and I've, and make them better even, you know, or give them more love, give them more um, clinicals, give them more visuals, give them more, give them a, a facelift, change the packaging. Like there's so much we can do, make it more sustainable, make it, you know, measure the carbon footprint of the product. There's so much more than just creating new. And I think that's also stemming from my career where I just was consistently, my first ever job was in Aveda and I loved the brand, but I was always like, I didn't know like which shampoo to, to spread or tell people because they had so many. And I didn't want to create a brand like that, I think, for for me personally. yeah.
0: Obviously, Akash, you're in Sephora, and they're your premier retail partner here in the US. But So maybe this is not as much the case for you as it is for other brands, but is there pressure from retailers or from other partners to do more? Because I would say that I hear that a lot from founders. It's just like newness makes the beauty industry go round. And so how do you kind of balance both that idea and then obviously for your, your own personal well-being of having and giving more love to the products that you have.
1: No, a really good point. And I think I'm going to probably like put a spanner in the works by answering this a bit differently to probably what you're expecting. Because in the past, it's, it has been like newness is important, revenue growth, and consumers want whatever shiny and, and exciting. And, and, and it gives retailers an excitement of like something new is there. But I think retailers today have over um, accepted of a lot of brands and there's a lot in the shelves. They've maybe got too much. They realize the consumer is fatigued. And I think you're actually seeing some pushback now from retailers and the founders both sides, um, because I think it's more about productivity now. That's the key word we're hearing every day. And if you haven't got a productive portfolio, it's either first fix the portfolio if it's productive, uh, got the productive potential I say right like if they think the product is amazing but it's still not doing what it needs to do they'll say let's focus on that and just do another push of that right or let's do another anniversary of that but if it's like maybe not good it would be like well let's take that out and then bring a new one in right it's about how to be sustainable and conscious in that portfolio again going to that mindful MPD Um, and I think retailers are a lot more open to that Plus they're knowing brands have this consistent issue of rising costs and inflate and all this like shipping issue and freight issue. So even when they do newness, it's never launched on time. So it's kind of like even dangerous from that perspective. Imagine like they plan in a year in advance and then the brand is like last minute, sorry, we can't make it till six months time. And it's happened. We've had this happen, Where one of our products were meant to launch and we had all the shelf strips printed and we were like it, I couldn't even make it up. It was, it was delayed a year, a year. <laughs> why it's a A funny story so painful
0: so painful it's
1: so painful and why is because we ordered like the wrong pump that was sitting there and then we looked at it and we're like what the hell is this pump and then they opened it in production line they were like well we you know okay let me get the new one and they're like the new one won't come for nine months i was like what the hell so i had everything there and i can do another podcast another day and all my issues and failures that's that's another fun one but generally speaking i think this is translated to retailers a lot and i think they're more like pause like if you don't need to make newness it's okay um so I think and I I think it's a much more I think I think mentally happier place for a brand because you don't have to be caught up by this crazy world of like consistently creating for the sake of creating and for the sake of what like a profit this is like for me not the future at all of the industry it shouldn't be the future yeah
0: how do you feel about Rest of the year and going into 2023 because obviously you launched in the height of COVID and now we're on the brink of a recession and dealing with massive inflation. Um, How do you feel about the brand's financial health?
1: So I think the good thing is is because I built it in a self funded way, I've been very mindful of my P and L and and also I'm a you know I'm a math, (laughs) I love my numbers, so I'm a CEO that's very close to my business performance. So. There is a little bit of an issue, I think, with inventory. And that's like the fear of like, that's like a just like an impossible formula to to kind of get right, right? Because you get moments where you sell out or TikTok makes you sell out and you're like, I just want product. Like, Why can't I get product? And then you get product and then you're like, hang on, they're not selling quick enough. And I've got this working capital caught up in inventory and not in marketing spend, right? That's like money that you should spend wisely. And it's hard for brands that don't do white label off the product kind of products like ours. Oh, some of our products take a year to make or nine months, which is kind of, brand suicide, but we wanted to create something that wasn't off the shelf and we wanted to create something that's a bit more Ayurvedic sustainably sourced so that does take time so you know that has been I think recently in my p and is a little bit like oh and you have a lot of inventory now and not a lot of <laughs> marketing spends. So that's something that I'm just dealing with but generally speaking the brand is growing it's crazy crazy growth I mean we're doing like double revenue like near triple growth now it's it's really exciting we now have gone from three people to nearly like Nearly, nearly 40 people now globally um and uh we've been able to hire such incredible experts in their field um into the company which is like such an honor that they would even be willing to like come on this crazy journey and leave you know the big companies to, to come work for fable um uh, that's exciting personally though like you know i think it's you have to be all really aware of like your mental state and all this crazy journey of, of whatever we do in our life and for me I think I've done this nearly for two and a half years. I'm not slowing down. I'm super motivated. I'm still gonna be the CEO. But I've I've started to learn the power of delegation, know what my strengths are and what I enjoy doing. And I think like I'm getting really like mini panic attacks from like not to say from Sephora, but generally like these retailer environments make you always think that there's a new brand coming doing They maybe have crazy VC money, or they, or they just are whatever. And they do three times the revenue year one, and you're like, oh my god, am I going to be kicked out? Am I going to be delisted? Am I going to be one shelf lower? And you know, you beat their targets, you do so well, but there's always this level up, level up. You do, you know, now we're doing nearly, you do ten million plus. Then it's like, okay, now what? Twenty million, then forty million, then eighty million. And I just don't know if I enjoy that part as a, as a founder. I have a team that can do that part and I'll let them do that. So I think I just recently went to India and I was doing some work with the tiger conservation and like, I haven't felt that happy for a while. And I remember like, I was like thinking, this is, this is what I want to do. Like being, seeing the people and the tigers and the animals. And obviously I need to build a company I can't just be like, <laughs> goodbye. <laughs> but generally speaking, my next year is going to be a little bit more conservation and fund growing, the Fable Fund and delegate to my team, and I'll be managing the team. I'll be puppeteering the vision, but I think I got to take myself out of these retailer meetings and these sales calls. And I think I just need to be a bit more like, "You got this," but I, 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 it's not, it's not for me.
0: So, do you think you're going to be hiring an operator, or a full time CEO or GM?
1: Yeah. So I, I think I'll. I've, I've got a GM now. So that's it. and and this and she's going to make everyone report into her. She's phenomenal from Puig. Twenty like an amazing experience, and I think that's going to change the game a lot. Um, so I think me having the vision and managing her and working with the team will be fine and i say this you know, I'm, just, I'm a workaholic i say this and i'll probably still be in the office every day but but my point is like i am noticing myself just being a little bit like i need to find some more purpose in my life and i think that's where i need to just at least find myself with the the animals a bit more and less with the retailers it sounds, that sounds really horrible but like that's just the reality where my head is right now
0: yeah. Well, I have to ask lastly, Akash, you know, hair is so hot right now. It continues to be hot. It continues to buck expectations in terms of sales. And obviously, like there's so many brands getting acquired. I know you're just two and a half years in. So I can't imagine that you're ready to sell or, you know, bring on a strategic buyer. But is that something on your mind?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, so first, I think the first step is when do we do the first raise? And and I've spoken to every VCPE, even conglomerates um, in the market. Uh, They they have reached out left, right and center from the inception and and have always facilitated a call just to make friendships, relationships. And you never know. I have probably forecasted, like, we will probably need to raise some money end of the year or uh, 2023 or 2024. So that would be the first step. Um, I have so much to do with this brand. I'm still, you know, I'm I'm nearly 29. I I still have so much um, to learn and grow and to do. So I think, like, I wouldn't imagine selling it, like, anytime soon and then be like, what next? Like, I want to, this is, like, my family legacy. Um, I have, of course, built it to think about eventually EBIT and EBITDA and like, you know, sales and revenue and of what's the number I want to sell it. And I think you have to. I'm looking at the similar of like, you know, the Sol de Janeiro and these exits. Like this is where I want to mimic these paths if I exit. But I'll tell you, I have, you know, I've had my podcast I interview 150 plus now founders, nearly 200 actually I've recorded with. And there are some stories specifically like Anastasia Beverly Hills where She's 18 years into building it, still signs every PO and is building this brand for her daughter, Novena, who's like going to continue it. And I thought about it and I was like, that still could be my path. So I don't want to say yet. I'm just having everything open to whatever it could be, but definitely no decisions been made. I mean, I haven't even got any, me and my sister still in 100% of it. So I still haven't like, <laughs> that's the first step, but I think it. That wouldn't be until six, five to six years, and I think that's smart to do it anyway. I think, it, uh, generally speaking, I've also spoken to founders that have sold their company too soon, and they end up creating a second one because they, um, they, you know, maybe they sold it too early in their mind, or in, and just you know, maybe it, it went. You know, I I couldn't imagine selling it really early and then seeing Fable and Main being not the way I wanted it to be represented too, right? So, that's one thing for sure. If I do ever sell, I will make sure I'm still involved in some capacity and have some seats on the table to make sure. My grandma doesn't go away in vain but one thing i have done is uh i've made my charity separate to the company so no matter what if the company goes away into another person's hand or conglomerate's hand in 10 years 15 years the charity is always me and my sister's legacy because that's my main passion and that's why i use fable Main as a vehicle of education for what i want to do in life which is help animals and the villages around it and i say that very openly i probably shouldn't as a founder, but. I love shampoos, I love conditions, but let's be honest, it's a product. It's great. They can change people, they're great, but I am not fulfilled as a human until I have my my passion of giving back to something that I'm really connected to, which is the wild, so yeah.
0: Thank you so much, Akash, for being here. It was so wonderful talking to you. Like I said at the beginning of the conversation, it feels like almost like months and months, like might've been years that we've spoken. So it's so good to connect again and and talk about Fable on Maine.
1: Thanks for having me, Priya. And such a pleasure. And thank you for making the time for me. Thank you.
0: Thank you so much for listening to the Glossy Beauty Podcast. Tune in next week for another episode. And of course, that means if you haven't subscribed, please hit that button.